0: Hello, you're listening to the Kind Mind Podcast. This is Todd, short for Michael Todd Fink. And however you may be listening, I'm grateful you're here. And I have just a couple of events to share with you first. Next week, Tuesday, September 28th at 7 p.m. Central Time, we'll have the next Kind Mind Gathering. That's often where we record these episodes. And we're back in person at the Hyatt Regency in Lyle, Illinois. The cost is $25 to attend. However, if you are a third tier member of Patreon supporting this podcast, then you always have a pass to any of the Kind Mind gatherings. You also would have the exclusive option to join virtually. Now only uh, third tier Patreon members can participate virtually. So um, Please consider joining Patreon if you haven't done so, and if you find this work valuable, all you have to do to support it is go to patreon.com forward slash kindmind, and there are three options for a monthly pledge, $5, $10, and $20. $10 gives you access to the Kind Mind Studio with mindfulness meditations and other resources for well-being, and at $20, you also would have the pass to the gatherings and the private link to join virtually if you can't attend in person. I'm also working on a segment of this uh, show called Question and Reflection. So I'm going to be taking questions continuously from the Patreon community. So if you are a Patreon member at any tier, feel free to message me there with any question that you would like me to reflect on and share anonymously on a future episode of the podcast. It can be as broad or as personal as you would like it to be. Then on October 2nd, Saturday, I'm returning to TEDx Naperville, where I gave my first TED Talk in 2019. This time I'll be doing what's called an idea shop. It's a really neat way to bring people together safely in the ongoing pandemic. We will most likely be outside, weather permitting. A very intimate group will be able to meet with me and I'm going to be sharing excerpts from my future book of reflections and I will be inviting those participating in the idea shop to share what might have been peeled away from their life in the last two years and what magic might that have revealed or what new intentions might you be tuned into. So we'll have a little sacred circle there to explore and share together. Tickets are still available, but it's a very limited event. They're capping it at 300 people, and my idea shop will have, will take place three times throughout the conference, but it will be limited to 30 participants, so sign up soon. If you use the code FINK at uh, checkout, you'll get a discount. That's F-I-N-K, and all you have to do is go to TEDxNaperville.com. And this episode, I'd like to dedicate to my girl, Mary, because it's her birthday this week. And we have had a lot of synchronicity around the theme of polarity, seeing it come up in art and in messages in books and in our conversations. And this week is special because there was a full moon We've transitioned to a new season. It's now fall. The equinox was this week, which means there is a balance of day and night, 12 hours and 12 hours in the Northern Hemisphere, that's often celebrated as a sacred day in wisdom traditions throughout the world. It's a reminder to bring the energies of polarity into balance. I think it was also International Peace Day. So a lot of reasons to keep looking up and find inspiration. I'll be revisiting this topic when I edit some of the talks at Speakeasy Community where I did a series on masculinity called the Seahorse Series, and I took some time to talk about polarity there, but I'll be expanding on this theme in future episodes of the podcast. And one point I tried to emphasize throughout this talk was that polarity is not just in the outer world. Like in politics, we have discord over polarizing views. In this talk, I tried to emphasize that the polarity exists within each of us. Polarity is derived from poles, and specifically the poles of the Earth. So the Earth itself has both a north pole and a south pole. We have, in, in meditation, we have a north pole on the top of our head that we concentrate on, and a south pole the base of our body and the root that we also focus on and try to harmonize the energies around the human body. But one of our participants, Colin, also brought up bipolar disorder, which didn't get a chance to, to include in, in this show, but I'll just say a few things about that here. Bipolar disorder is another example of how polarity can exist within the human psyche that disorder is characterized by episodes of mania, high energy, um, sometimes euphoria, and a person may experience insomnia, not being able to sleep for days. And then episodes of depression, low energy, low motivation, in extreme form suicidality. You can imagine how painful that a condition could be and how hard it would be to maintain relationships when moods can shift so extremely. But it is an example that we have dialectics. We have, at times, the desire to be with others and uh, simultaneously putting up walls or retreating or isolating. We can have the desire to save money while struggling to balance our budget or limit our spending or uh, manage impulsivity around spending. We can have the will to be healthy, to lose weight, and simultaneously feeling unmotivated to exercise. So that's really where my focus is on, on this particular talk. We do touch on Taoism, which uh, in the symbol, the Taijitu, that most people are familiar with, it uh, is an expression of pairs of opposites and how one cannot exist without the other. Before I conclude this intro, I would like to read a reflection from my future book. It is um, a summary of this episode. This is sort of how the idea shop will go when I'm sharing excerpts from my book, so you can get a taste of it here. Principles of Polarity Yin and Yang, Soft and Hard, Dark and Light Passive and aggressive, feminine and masculine. All within and without me. My eyes go out and my nose goes in. My speech protrudes and every word is always a friction with the air. While sounds penetrate my ears. In activity I can give. In sleep I can receive. My logic is rigid, but my intuition is fluid. Myriad possibilities for balancing energy. One pole cannot eliminate the other. There is always a south pole on a magnet, no matter how much bottom breaks away. Therefore, so-called evil is never the final fact. The Taijitu symbol has five parts. Two larger black and white sections, two small black and white dots. One circle holding everything represents the absolute. The art of living is in the dance of existence with these qualities. In love, be the compliment. Listen without waiting to speak. Lead and follow with the same enthusiasm. Validate without trying to fix. In tyranny, be the opposition. Amplify the voice of the vulnerable. Wield the power of community. Move as a living shrine of peace. In superficiality, be the antithesis. Inspire through authentic joy. Guard the inner light and make your heart a deep well. In nature, be the unison. Synchronize with the rhythms of the earth. Embody the cycles and seasons. Plug into the big battery. And in meditation, be the container. Witness with equanimity. Go beyond duality and enjoy total freedom. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Please stay connected on social media at Michael Toddfink or through Patreon. I look forward to seeing you soon. There is a creation myth in Chinese cosmology about how the world was started by the god Yang and his divine consort Yin the goddess and in this story they take turns sleeping and waking to create the universe. When they sleep their dream becomes the world of their partner. And the partner lives their waking life in the dream of the other. And that's how they sustain the universe after its creation. And this goes on for a long, long time. And they're never able to meet each other while they're both fully awake. When Yin sleeps, the goddess, she's holding her partner in the dream. And her dream becomes the world that he lives in. Now in this world that she dreams for him, he only has a vague idea of her image. But his heart is filled with longing for her. And he searches in the dream for her. And every time he gets close to a woman, he projects her image onto the woman, the image of Yin. And that goes on with every woman that he becomes close with in the dream. But all women that he meets are only a fractal of the yin goddess, not the real her, because she's not part of this dream world. The dream world that he's living in is part of her. And eventually she wakes up And then he falls asleep and they switch roles. Now his dream is the world in which she lives while it's her waking life. And the same thing happens for the goddess Yin. She feels this longing in her heart and goes searching for him in the dream. And every time she gets close to a man, she projects the image of Yang onto each man that she encounters and becomes close with. But all the men in her dream are only a fractal of the god yang not the real him once again because he's not part of her world her world is a part of him and this cycle of dreaming and waking between the two goes on and on for eons let's say as the universe continues to expand and become Uh, and fulfill its creation. So it's their longing, their desire, their loving, their heartache, their sorrow, their tears, that all becomes day and night, dream and awake, masculine and feminine, high, low, left, right, inside, outside, and so on, day and night, on and on. Thousands of years go by in this way. Finally, on one day, she starts to understand what's going on. She realizes that the void, the hole in her heart will never actually be filled in the dream. And yet he is everywhere around her in her dream. And she's understanding that she's intuiting that there's nothing in her world that's really not part of him. So through her Taoist wisdom, she comes to accept this unfulfilled longing is actually her connection to her partner. And then she no longer projects anything in the dream. So she learns to love everyone, knowing that none of them are really him, but all are part of him. And they're all imperfect versions of him as well. So living inside his dream means she will always have this, this desire, this unfulfilled longing, to some extent, this imperfectness. And in this longing, she feels close to him. The longing actually begins to complete her. And she learns, most importantly, to love herself and accept her own seeming imperfection. So now when it's her turn to dream, she wants to give this gift to the god Yang. So she pours all of her longing and passion and compassion into her dream. Knowing that that's the world she creates for him and and hoping just maybe he'll come to realize this secret as well. And as they go on like this, when they both have this awakening, this, this realization, it's manifested as sunset and dawn. So after th- tens of thousands or millions of years, they're were, they were able to have a moment where they're both awake and can ab- embrace each other in the flesh. So as sun rises and he's about to wake up and she's not fallen asleep yet, they meet for briefly and hold each other in the full flesh. And then as the sun sets, when she's about to wake up and has not gone to sleep yet, they meet again for a brief moment. And in the mythology of uh, Chinese cosmology, this has become the magnificent painting of the sunrise and sunset. So with that, I introduce this concept of polarity. Now, it's something that you can find in wisdom traditions in each part of the world, really. So I was mentioning Taoism, and you're probably familiar with the Taijitu. That's the yin-yang symbol. It speaks of the pairs of opposites. And the most famous treatise on this is called the Tao Te Ching. I have a copy of it here, my favorite translation. I'll just read the second verse to give you a little more description of how these pairs of opposites relate and define each other when people see some things as beautiful other things become ugly when people see some things as good other things become bad being and non-being create each other difficult and easy support each other long and short define each other high and low depend on each other Before and after follow each other. Therefore the master acts without doing anything and teaches without saying anything. Things arise and she lets them come. Things disappear and she lets them go. She has but doesn't possess. Acts but doesn't expect. When her work is done she forgets it. That's why it lasts forever. So that's a beautiful introduction to these pairs of opposites. In the Indian subcontinent, you have a similar philosophy in both Buddhism and Hinduism. There is uh, many scriptures of the play of Shiva and Shakti, this masculine and feminine energy. It's also described as Purusha and Prakruti in Vedanta and in the uh, Yoga Sutras and in Tantra there Tantra actually comes from the root root word Tan in Sanskrit which meant to expand and over the years I think it has been largely misunderstood especially in the West as just a means to extend enjoyment specifically sexual enjoyment but that meaning of expansion in Tan was a, a whole system of meditations and self-inquiry and austerities to expand the individual consciousness into more universal consciousness so just like yoga it is a meditative science of union of reunion between the the body and the spirit or the individual and the universal Some of you may have heard of hermetic philosophy, there's a book called the Kybalion, I don't really study this book, it's a little bit more recent, authoring from I want to say early 1900s, but it's supposedly about ancient Egyptian and Greek principles, there's seven hermetic principles in that book, the fourth one is the principle of polarity. And uh, this simply states that everything is dual. Everything has poles. Everything has its pairs of opposites. Like and unlike are the same. Opposites are, can be identical in nature, but different in degree. And the extremes start to meet. So all truths can be, can often be half truths and paradoxes can be reconciled according to the Hermetic philosophy. Coming back to the Taijitu, We see that there are two parts to this symbol, the light and the dark. I think it's helpful when trying to come to a way of living with this principle of polarity to think of your ideal of these forces. Two work for me really well. I like to think of the pairs of opposites in terms of light and dark. I also like to think of it in terms of masculine and feminine. So let me first speak about light and dark. As you see in the symbol, neither side is completely light or completely dark. And that's really important because these pairs of opposites do not have a final destination. If you think of east and west, there's not an amount of distance westward where you, you have finally gone as west as you can go. West is a direction or a pool and east is a, is a different direction. And they can, they can meet, right? And so there is some east in the west and there's some west in the east. If I kept going west to Japan, I would be east in the far east relative to somewhere else. So relativity is important in understanding and applying the, the principles of polarity. This is also evident in the actual day and night, the light and dark of day and night. So even in the middle of the night, there's some light because there are stars and the moon is reflecting light from the sun. And it's all relative. If you were in a world or in the far north where there is the land of the midnight sun, you get a month of darkness, you get a month of light. I could imagine if you're in a world where the sun doesn't rise, there would still be this yin yang this balance of light and dark because when the moon is full and out that would be day you would actually be able to see much better and when it's a a new moon that would be the, the darkest night so the the interplay the dance would still exist and i think alan watts described this really well and i think this is helpful in our approach to finding our place in the drama of humanity because there's always this struggle for right and wrong there's always the political tension between right and left conservative and liberal and so on and what are we supposed to do how are we supposed to live but there's a fear in all of this that it could become all darkness that darkness could win and In the Taijitu, that's not possible because it's all relative. East can't win. West can't win. But Alan Watts put it really well when he said that in the principle of polarity, it's like a magnet which has two poles. And even if you could cut off the South Pole, well then, whatever's left becomes the South Pole. Because North and South go together. You can't have one without the other. To me, it just explains it beautifully and instead of thinking of it as conflict, we just have to realize that you can't have opposites without opposition, but opposition doesn't have to necessarily mean that there's a fight. It can be more like a dance and I think that's where wisdom comes into play here. You will see this cycle come and go in all areas of your life. Success could be considered light, failure could be considered dark, but you need both. In the season of failure is when you cultivate yourself, just as you go to sleep at night so that you can build the inner resources to be fully active the next day. In failure, in that dark season, you cultivate your life, you transform your life, and you plant the seeds of success. Without failure, you can't have success. In relationships, when there is darkness in the relationship, it means you can't see things clearly. You're not on the same page. The problem in these circumstances arises when one tries to force their way through. You can only work for so long through the night before you get tired, before you lose energy. You can only stay awake for 11 days, it's hypothesized by scientists, before a person could die. Recognizing this as a practitioner of the principles of polarity would give you the insight to step back, to give space, to retreat, to become quiet and tend to your inner life or tend to the inner light in your heart until it's day in the relationship. And that could be between you and a partner. That could be between groups of people. That could be between countries. And the challenges that arise in all kinds of encounters. Then another way that I think of this is masculine and feminine. But I don't think that this means that men are masculine and women are, are feminine. I think that masculine can be understood and perceived as an energy in the universe like the light and feminine like the energy of the night cool calm spacious receptive and so these are existing in all of us i have the ears to listen i could understand that as a feminine quality within me the ability to listen and to speak because there is sound something is protruding can be thought of as masculine energy so we all speak and listen we have these two capacities within us but how do we use them and when do we use them some people are always waiting to speak they're not listening they're just waiting and you could say that there could be an imbalance there or not enough tending to the other side, learning to balance these forces within us or to simply perceive the cycle of them. Because in life these cycles are always happening, they're coming and going, nothing is static. Life keeps going, keeps moving, always in flux. So I said the speaking is the masculine, the listening could be the feminine energy. And we can feel this, we can perceive this in all our activities. When to move forward, when to step back. It doesn't have to be about just a man and a woman and how they relate. Then this helps us, I think, to understand and accept all different kinds of orientations, because masculine and feminine, like the Taijitu, is just an eternal dance that's going on inside of everything. In every person, in every cell, Right? And, and at any given time, we may be more of an expression of one of the two. And then there is a certain dance that can go on with whatever the, the counterpart is or whatever the complementary piece is. So if you think of this masculine-feminine energy as a dial, it can be dialed anywhere. Right? So it doesn't have to be just as um, crude as the body of a man and the body of a woman. But I'm sure there's a lot more to explore there. Then the last thing I'd like to say before we open up to questions is coming back to this concept of the magnet. The Earth has magnetism because of the dynamo effect of flowing metal creating electric currents. And there is a North Pole and a South Pole. And there's an electromagnetic field. There's a, a geomagnetic field. The body also has a metaphor for this, at least in Eastern spiritual traditions. And the axis of the body magnetism is the spine. And north typically is the symbol for up. And south is typically the symbolically represents down. And downward in the body is leading to the base includes the stomach and the genitals and the anus those organs and they're associated with eating and sexual activity and pleasure and the earth and success and material wealth and possessions and then in the top part of the body leading to the north pole you have the heart the throat the third eye in if you think of this in terms of chakras and then the crown what's interesting about coming to the atom point of the North Pole, there's no more direction there. There's no, there is no more north from that point. Any way you face is is south. It's the end of north and that is a metaphor for attaining the summit of realization. Now this is not to say that what's in the south is bad. Those qualities are also dancing, just like the rest of these forces. But the spiritual person, by ascending up the spine or climbing the seven-story mountain and learning to raise the consciousness into the cave of the cranium, can get calmness, can get peace. It's like going to the Himalayas in the head and coming to the top of Mount Everest. From there, you can see everything. Then you can come back down without attachment then a person can harmonize their life because they can be with people without attachment they can use possessions instead of being addicted to possessions they can love the earth without being attached to wealth or only self-interested with uh, material success this is how a person lives a complete life a full life a harmonized life in alignment with the Tao, or in balance with yin and yang, or in balance with purusha and prakruti, or body and spirit, and so on. This Taijitu symbol has these two sides, but there's a third part of this symbol that is almost never talked about, and that is the circle that holds it. All of this is happening in this hoop. So what is that container? That container could be said to be uh, pure awareness or consciousness. Because if you think of awareness, the purity of awareness, the purity of consciousness, does consciousness, just uh, pure witnessing have a gender? Does it have an opposite? So the idea here is that As you observe all of these forces within yourself and it's no longer condensed into just simply being a man, being a woman and so on, you start to identify more with awareness and see everything arising in consciousness. This is where the real equanimity can develop. So you take, for instance, the cycles of emotions. Just like the weather, naturally there's going to be storms, naturally there's going to be Overcast days, but what happens for us emotionally is that the clouds roll in, the clouds roll into the mind or depression comes and then we get sad about the depression or anxiety rolls in because it's triggered by something. It's the evening of anxiety or it's the week of anxiety, but then we get worried about our anxiety. One is the natural and the other one is mental or psychological and creates the real suffering that's not to say that it's not painful to be in these different experiences but for the aware person they can understand that the clouds are always moving they don't need to be pushed challenge is releasing and in the Taoists call this uh, Wu Wei which is natural action and in this way we can find how to respond to life how to participate in life and The question may arise, well, do we not feel anything or do we not react or respond when we are in crisis or when we face larger challenges or community challenges? And the Tao Te Ching gives a pretty good prescription for how to find your way in this. It says simply that those who stand on their tiptoes don't stand firm. Those who rush ahead don't get far. Those who try to outshine others dim their own light. So what this means is you can only do what you do, or what you can do, right? And to be doing that, but to be engaged in it without attachment to the outcome, with the sense of equanimity, you're allowing the participation to happen in a natural way. By doing it in this way, you can engage with the mental equilibrium to avoid unnecessary suffering so we'll pause there if there's any reflections or questions i'll start with uh with you jody do you have anything yet
1: okay we do have a question in the chat and um we will get to that in a minute in case some others post any questions but i was thinking about what you said about the opposite um as it relates to there's a book by philosopher Alain de Boutin called Art is Therapy. And he talks about why we respond certain ways to art. And for instance, when we see beautiful flowers or the Virgin Mary, it can be very upsetting to us. And because uh, he said it's because it actually accentuates the opposite or accentuates, um, you know, the ugliness in the world. We don't often, you know, it, it leaves that out. And so I wondered if you'd be willing to, Kind of elaborate on the fact of you know this is kind of a very romantic topic of how things are dependent on each other but what about in relationships like where opposites attract some people think that's really important you know opposites attract some other people think it's good to meet in the middle um what are your thoughts around that
0: Naturally opposites complement each other but again we are never going to be one thing. So by by paying attention to all the different forces inside of us we start to identify less with the ego. Because you you start to realize I'm I don't have one piece of me that was here 10 years ago. So who am I? And there will never be an end to the dance so you can't just be a man and find the counterpart and then there's no more there's no more dance but i would say that we have qualities right and finding complements to these qualities can matter in a relationship and having harmony in a relationship so my personality may have the quality of introspection or introversion and I've seen people have a really healthy dynamic where one person is a little more outgoing and the other person's a little more reserved. I think it, it is very romantic to, to celebrate compliments, celebrate complimentary pieces to our life. The ideal in relationships is that we get to discover more of ourself. We get to feel expanded. I think the main thing to pay attention to when you're in any relationship not just romantic relationship, would be, can I keep expanding? Can we each keep growing, discovering new dimensions of ourself through our love and support and acceptance? Oh, thank you.
1: Yeah, so um, sometimes when we encounter something that's the opposite, it's a compliment and we want to hang around them because we want more of that. But in other cases, we can encounter the opposite and we're threatened by it. And uh, what is kind of happening with us? What, what makes us look at something, you know, as a compliment versus threatened?
0: I think it largely depends on the state of mind. Like I said, life is constantly in flux. We may meet somebody in a period of grief. There will be a different compliment to that at that time. We may meet somebody in the season of success or in the season of failure. And depending on our state of mind and our circumstances, that's how the universe is expressing itself through us in, in that condition. That's going to have a, a great effect on how we interpret the encounter. But we have a view of ourselves, We have a perception and an image of ourself, like, this kind of man, I'm this kind of man. strong man or intelligent man or philosophical man or something like that. And again, things are always in flux. So when people can come to learn this about the people that they meet, especially in a partnership, you try to learn how to have this dance together. People have shifting moods, shifting emotions, and all of their own cycles. And you try to learn how to cooperate with all that dynamicism but another reason why we sometimes get a little bit overwhelmed I think you're asking when when we meet or when we're getting closer to somebody that actually is a good fit is because it's going to change your world and when your world is going to be totally different and and if it includes commitment or building a life together that's akin to a crisis emotionally biologically So just in case, your brain will give you a bunch of adrenaline in case you need to flee that situation. And this usually accompanies any falling in love. That's just part of the process. Prior to that, there'll be an OCD effect. Person will think about the other over and over and over and over. And then you'll get the anxiety crisis. And if you can make it through that, (laughs) then the praying mantis bites the head off of her partner. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> um this is actually a good I shouldn't say it's a good segue because you ended with the praying mantis <laughs> but Yolanda brings up a really great question and just asked if you could expand a little bit on the um about the energies of the masculine and the feminine
0: so I would say that part of this this dance, this harmony, or this endless cycle of the opposites. In its expression in men and women, there has been some disruption because throughout human history, men have oppressed women. So there are probably all kinds of... I just read in in some philosophical book, imagine how many Gautama Buddhas there would have been if women had been allowed to pursue truth and contemplate in the way that he could. Could his wife have left the kingdom and gone to the forest for six months, probably or six years, probably not. So that's my point that we have somewhat of a distorted view historically of these energies because of how narrowly we have viewed men and women. So energies of the feminine or the yin Coolness, calmness, patience, receptive, you can think of it as space, the coolness of the moon, darkness of the night, and that's why it's not about good or bad, because the night provides us all kinds of healing and rejuvenation, and we would know to try to stay up every night all night and never sleep would really destroy us. It's just part of being whole. Now, those qualities in men, in my understanding, I think I think a good example of this is there can be a time when, when a man is with a woman and the woman has something to share. Could be something painful. It could be a dream. It could be something hard about the day, and. Men being overly masculine can overpower that situation with all the next steps or all the solutions to fix the problem. And this can be disruptive to the harmony in that moment because the speaking is masculine. The venting could be if it was if it was a problem, is masculine. So the complement to that would be presence would be receptivity, would be listening. So when I'm talking with men or working with men in, um, in different programs, I'll often share that if you, if you're aware of this stance, you can perceive that you're not the masculine alone and she's not the feminine alone. If it's a man and woman relationship that you want to tune into the masculine and feminine exchanges and moments. If a man can listen in that moment, there's harmony and the love will grow because the love isn't just about you being macho and her being submissive. Mm-hmm. And there may be times where those where that play shifts, right?
1: So do you think people, um, as it relates to longing, because the two lovers, they longed for each other, but there's also an element of impermanence, right? So they were in love and it would never happen. Do you think people can get addicted to longing or addicted to impermanence?
0: I think people can expect impermanence and the expecting allows them not to be present with with the manifestation while it's there. I mean, like, our children, if you have children, they, they will grow. But if you're always expecting too much to, to, of the growth and that they're going to leave, then you miss out on the time that was there. So somebody was just telling me they're not sure what they should do about a new relationship because... The person thinks, it's only a matter of time, though, before you lose interest and don't want to be with me. So the relationship can't even begin. And, and it's not funny, it's, it's sad, but, but we do this to our projection. So I don't know if that's addiction to impermanence, but it's, it's a form of worry. Just like I was saying, you, you don't need to push the clouds. You also can't hold on to the clouds. But if you're just lying on your back in the grass, it's all good, right? You just get to watch, watch the sky.
1: There, uh, Melody just made a, a great comment that, um, whoops, I lost it there, <laughs> that uh, I believe it said, yeah, avoidance is aversion, right?
0: <laughs> it's unnatural to resist what is natural. What's naturally unnatural or unnaturally natural in action in action action in 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 action these are paradoxes but but the meaning is to to resist what is that's control and there's really no control our resistance to reality disrupts our mental equilibrium
1: so one last one here yeah. when you were talking about attachment, it sounds similar to, and correct me if I'm wrong here, almost as someone feels like someone else is maybe a possession. They're attached or they become a possession. Is is that right? And do you want to expand on that a little bit just around attachment and a little bit more on why that's so unhealthy? Because you said they're a complete, uh, complete person when they're not doing this.
0: Again, if yeah, if you think of it in terms of Day and night, or the light and the dark, you can't you can't hold on to the day. Now the day could be years or or, in a, or lifetimes. So the attachment only leads to suffering. That is the spiritual path in a nutshell. One one sage said, "All it is is non-attachment. It's a hundred percent of the spiritual practice. <laughs> it becomes a contaminant in the relationship." Paulo Coelho, others have described it beautifully in the example of the flower. If you love a flower and you pick it up, you pluck it, it immediately starts to cease to be what you love. So love is not about possession, it's about appreciation. When you try to control it, you lose it. That's the paradox of love. When you find a reason to love also, then it ceases to be love. Love, what we're talking about here, needs to just arise out of our being, out of consciousness. Attraction and possession arises out of the body. Naturally, there are, there are biological forces. They're, they're part of the play too, the force of attraction. But the aware person can perceive all this and not move in and force that energy because it only leads to more suffering. And I've talked about this before, but you can think of it as the real pain of lost love or unrequited love is that our natural state is to be kind and compassionate and to have a flow like a river. So I described our heart as a riverbed. And when we lose love, and the person doesn't realize this, but it's not so much that that person isn't loving me back or giving me something it's that i'm damned up now and we want to love someone not just someone we want to be loving but it's part of that is loving someone so the river has hit a barrier until it builds up enough resources push the dam over or to accept that that's not no longer the direction and flow in another way but once it it achieves that through its inner resources, then we would call that healing.
1: Okay, Um, one other comment here from uh, Lorna that I think is just beautiful, longing. uh, Lorna has really good insight
0: on this topic.
1: Oh, good, I can tell. Uh, Longing, a natural Hmm. state of the feminine. Longing does not mean something is wrong. The feminine in all of us is never satisfied, will never be satisfied. The feminine can thus relax into a beautiful and natural state.
0: That's so beautiful. And that's why I shared that that story in the beginning, so that people who relate to that can understand that it's a natural experience. And in accepting it and allowing it, we no longer have to judge ourselves we can see that as uh, in the way that the the goddess perceived it
1: Uh, last one here from Bob he said would you say that when we encounter an experience we best know it by beginning from the yin position and only once we have fully become intimate with it do we move to the yang position of taking or making a response what we have found
0: that's really wise i really like that I, i think it's really beautiful what bob shared and i think this can be some really practical wisdom for us because we get really frustrated when we have an idea or we encounter experience we think well, I know what I want to do. It should happen now, and we get frustrated because we don't have the means to do it yet. But if you sit with the night, the yin, for as long as the night is, night is beautiful. You're walking in the moonlight. You're sitting with your idea. You're fully receiving. you're like the, the goddess, you're holding the dream of your ideal. Naturally, that will dissolve and the day will dawn and the conditions will be right to manifest it. And that's the masculine energy. Some things in my life, like with music, I mean, I've held a song. Bob knows this too. held a song for a decade before the, the conditions were right for it to be manifest. So it's just a, something that's receptive until then. And that was really difficult for me for some time as an artist because I know what I want to produce and producing is masculine, producing is young and that just made me very unhappy. So I learned to develop a sense of equanimity about either of the pairs. To be in solitude or to be in silence or stillness with the idea and to learn to love that. When the time shifts and it needs to come out or be shared and it becomes more masculine, that's beautiful too. So without, again, so this comes back to resistance to what is coming and attachment to what is going. And if we can get better at allowing at those two points of the wave, then we can surf. yeah thank you bob thank you for your questions jody thank you for facilitating that q a session kim thank you for your help let me read to you a short passage here from this book that i love called earth by frank townsend beautiful poet the book is like 100 years old and i bring passages from this book once in a while I think this particular passage I, I may have read before or shared somewhere before, but I think it's helpful for the times we find ourselves in, and the struggle that we find ourselves in, and the fear that arises when we worry: will it get worse? Will, will day never come? Will dawn never come? Or could we be swallowed up by the dark forces? People came to me saying. This is fatalism, and that materialism. Here are romanticism, classicism, socialism, and so forth. I answered, To you it may be so, but to me it is as if you were classifying water, saying, Here is an eddy, there a whirlpool, here calm, there turbulence. Yet even while you speak, the breaking waves turn to smoothness, and under still waters, hidden currents flow. Life is not a static thing, but perpetual dynamic change.